You are listening to the Blockchain Dialogues podcast. All views expressed on this show are for educational purposes only and not meant to be taken as financial advice. Hello and welcome to another episode of the Blockchain Dialogues podcast with your hosts Krishna and Nikhil. In this podcast series, we analyze various cutting-edge technologies and projects in the field of blockchains, DLTs and cryptocurrencies. In today's episode, we're going to be revisiting the concept of decentralized autonomous organizations, discuss what they are, why blockchains need them, and uh, look at some of the most interesting use cases that are currently utilizing them. To look at DAOs in greater detail, we are joined by Denison Bertram, who is the CEO of Tally which is a platform that builds governance infrastructure for DAOs. Denison, a very warm welcome to you on our show from Nikhil and myself. Thank you very much. I'm very happy to be here. So uh, to begin, could you tell our audience a little bit about yourself, your background? Uh, you've been in crypto since the early days and uh, you founded multiple projects before this. Also, uh, I believe you've done fashion and uh, commercial photography for some of the big brands such as Gucci, uh, Louis Vuitton, uh, Heineken, and many others. So could you walk us through your journey and uh, tell us how you got involved in the blockchain and crypto space? Yeah, absolutely. So um, I have, as you mentioned, been in this space for a long time. Um, I tend to be, you know, I I got in doing doing fashion. I was was an artist for a long time uh, in the early 2000s. Uh, and was doing that, and you know, as you mentioned, uh, I was quite successful at it. Uh, along the way, in the sort of like late two thousands, uh, the uh, so I was in Italy, and a lot of the large fashion brands were sort of finally aware of like digital and you know the internet essentially, and so they were they were making these initial steps into um, you know being online, right? Which sounds kind of crazy to us today. But uh, there was a time when, in fact, most brands, especially high-end luxury brands, did not have um, internet presences or sell online or any of these type of things. So I had built a creative technology company that assisted um, brands in being more involved in the digital space, right? So that was a lot of uh, different activities and sort of activations and technology there. Um, but so so that's that's sort of like how I went from the the art into sort of like more uh, business tech uh, realm. And in that process, you know, in 2011, I came across the the Satoshi white paper, which really spoke to me. That felt very um, very on point. You know, I had been you know totally uh, transfixed with 2008, uh, the the financial crisis. Um, there had been a great podcast um, around uh, money at the time. And, you know, I had been drawn to the Satoshi white paper and Bitcoin in general and the whole sort of like lost fight behind crypto. From there, I founded uh, the first Bitcoin exchange in the Czech Republic or one of the first or very early one. It's called buybtc.cz. Um, that's in 2012. Uh, I did another of other, a uh, number of other projects in the early uh, Bitcoin blockchain space, um, a wallet and a hardware wallet. Uh, and then uh, eventually moved back to the States where uh, I got involved in the Ethereum community, uh, where I was, it was primarily like a, a Bitcoin community scene. 
And I started working for Open Zeppelin, which is the, the leading um, security firm in the, the, the Web3 space. So I, I worked for Open Zeppelin as a developer advocate uh, and then went on to found uh, my own company, one Dapp Hero, uh, which was um, sort of like a no-code tool for building Ethereum dApps uh, using only HTML. And then went on to build Tally, which is uh, what I'm building right now with my co-founder, Raf Solari, and we are building the tools to really enable successful decentralized organizations in Web3. Great. So, uh, like you mentioned, you know, you, you, you were in Italy and you were involved, uh, you, you were pretty successful in the art uh, space. And could you tell us, uh, how did you move to tech specifically? Like, did you train yourself or uh, like, uh, how did you make that, you know, big uh, leap into tech? Sure. So actually, it, it, it's uh, kind of funny. I was always into tech. Uh, in high school, I was very technical. Um, I spent uh, a brief amount of time at Carnegie Mellon uh, while I was still in high school, really into robotics. Uh, I actually didn't pursue tech initially in college because at the time, this is like the late 90s, early 2000s, um, you know, I'm a person of color and actually I felt the discrimination in the industry was um, high. I actually, you know, at the time, I just didn't feel like the opportunity made sense because I, I felt a lot of di discrimination in the industry. So that's when I left Europe to to uh, be an artist and sort of pursue other things. I ended up graduating with like a political science degree uh, with a focus on the sort of like post-communist transitional economies. Uh, but I remained into um, uh, tech, you know, when people first came out with 3D printers, I built my own 3D printer. Um, when uh, VR was around, I designed camera systems. So I was always kind of like tech focused in that regard. I, I used to describe myself as being um, a very bad programmer, but but enough to like put together sort of like proof of concepts. When I moved back to the States, uh, I did go back to school to become sort of like a, a real engineer, a real programmer, uh, which was in you know really invaluable. And you know, I, I meet a lot of people who consider career shifts and career changes. I always recommend them to sort of go back and do these uh, sort of like short schools around um, computer science and programming because it just gives you the tools to to really effectively do the um, sort of work that you want to do. Before that, I had always you know hire um, dev teams, which um, is very low. It's not it's not it's not that it's a bad process, but but uh, it's it's. It's a lot of energy um, to sort of like, you know, transmit or communicate to to a third party developer, sort of like what you want to build, especially if you're not necessarily um, super experienced. Uh, but when you learn how to actually build software, it's it's pretty easy to to just build software yourself. Uh, and that is why actually truthfully been one of my great joys in sort of like, you know, this this part of my life where. Uh, I can have an idea and I can just sit down and build it. So today I contribute quite a lot in the Ethereum ecosystem beyond Tally um, and proof of concepts and different ideas, uh, built many different things. And, you know, the, my only regret for, for being um, a CEO today is, is that I don't actually have enough time um, anymore to just like build the things that I want to build, you know? So, so yeah, that, that's kind of the, how, how I got my technical background. That's wonderful. I mean, uh, definitely you're a person with a lot of skills, you know, one of the most talented people we've had on the show that we've got the opportunity to interview. So that, that that's really great, uh, Denison. Uh, so now to move on to the main topic for today, uh, and that is the uh, concept of DAOs. 
we've talked about DAOs directly or uh, indirectly on the podcast before this. However, uh, if you could give a quick overview of uh, what is a DAO, what is its uh, significance in the decentralized world, and uh, maybe touch upon some of the most interesting use cases of uh, DAOs that exist today. Yeah, so DAOs, I'm sure, you know, people love to debate uh, what the term means. It's essentially decentralized autonomous organization. I like to say, you know, if it looks like a DAO, smells like a DAO, tastes like a DAO, it's probably a DAO, but maybe not. I think a lot of DAOs today are actually uh, things that are in the process of becoming a true DAO. You know, a, a lot of times the title DAO on a, a project is maybe more of an aspiration than like a current place. There are a lot of DAOs out there. Uh, had we had this conversation two years ago, I think it would have been pretty easy to answer you. Like what are sort of like the most successful DAOs? Today, there are an enormous number of DAOs and, and success, I think, is um, really uh, a relative of uh, a relative concept here, right? Like you have uh, folks like Uniswap where, you know, th this DAO has an enormous amount of value in its treasury. Uh, then you have folks like Dope Wars, which have a small amount in their treasury, but they do um, a lot with it, right? They're very, they're very proactive. Uh, we see DAOs such as ENS, which is running really a fantastically um, large protocol. Uh, and then you see social DAOs like Seraph, which is building, um, you know, LGBTQ plus, uh, space uh, on the blockchain. Um, I actually created a DAO very similar, uh, Pride Punks, uh, and, and there are many other organizations there. There's almost too many. Um, you know, there there is a Boys Club, which is a DAO being built around uh, helping women in Web3. So, you know, we, we've gone from, you know, DAOs being something, you know, two years ago, that was really mostly applicable to like financial protocols, to DAOs being sort of everything, DeFi protocols, social organizations, um, impact related organizations, uh, art organizations. So we really see DAOs becoming um, a new kind of corporate structure. Uh, that's that's quite nice. Uh, interesting that you point out about those uh, the different use cases of a of a DAO, which is not related to finance. Because to be honest, uh, in the initial stages and even now, uh, a lot of times you can look at when you, when people say DAOs, it's kind of like well, just just a similar kind of a deal to uh, creating a token, right? They create a token just so that there is some kind of uh, financial incentive structure uh, around whatever they're going to try to build or they want to kind of pay off their uh, investors or they want to get investors. Uh, they, there's the whole ICO thing and all that. One point you raised was like you had DAOs for uh, cultural uh, movements, right? Like the LGBTQ community and uh, 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 other social uh, events. So generally, uh, can you uh, talk about how that actually works? So uh, if, for example, if you can take your the one that you created, Pride Punks, uh, what, why did you go down the DAO route and why do you feel that that's something that's uh, better than say a you know a nonprofit or uh, your standard uh, uh, organizational structures for these kind of organizations. Yeah, so something that I talk about a lot is the efficiencies and capabilities of DAOs that uh, regular corporate structures don't have. Uh, with a DAO, you can create an organization that has members, you know, thousands of members in tens of different countries and manages millions of dollars in a very short amount of time, right? You can do this in literally 
a few hours, right? If the idea is something that people are excited about, this is a structure that you can build in, in an extremely short amount of time. And the structure can exist for a very short amount of time, right? You can build an organization that services, you know, 10,000 people in 30 countries and millions of dollars that lasts for only 10 days, right? Um, that sort of efficiency is, is, is really kind of unheard of when you think about the traditional corporate world, right? If you thought about how complex it would be to build an organization that, that manages a treasury and pays out employees or, or members, uh, and exists in 30 countries and has 10,000 people participating, you, you instantly look to, you know, large, large organizations, right? Fortune 500 companies, you know, enormous startups, billion dollar companies that have the kind of resources to manage that level of complexity. But with DAOs, what we can do, we, we can do this kind of instantly. The, the, the cost of organizing two people um, is, is very much the same as organizing, you know, 15,000 people. The speed at which you do it is, is unparalleled, right? You entirely cut out the necessity for, you know, the, the sort of like incorporation process and, 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 and that the state requires. Now that has some downsides as well, right? Because of course corporations are are uh, legally um, recognized organizations. But from the part of the the participants who are trying to get something done, uh, this sort of speed, this kind of efficiency, is really incredible. Right. And the scale is incredible. I mentioned, you know, you can do two people can participate in a DAO and that can grow to 100,000 people and you can use the same structures, right? The same, it's the same like core technology and it can be secure, right? And it can operate in the same way. Uh, and this is, this is really incredible uh, efficiency. And we think that um, this kind of efficiency is going to really transform, um, you know, corporations, right? Now, maybe it doesn't entirely supplant, you know, the C Corp and the LLC, but we already see places like Wyoming that have a DAO law, um, other jurisdictions that are building DAO structures as legal entities. You, you see that this is very much will be um, a new corporate form, and it's going to be one that's going to be extremely powerful and you know, one way we like to say this is that DAOs are internet native corporations, right? So they, they operate at the speed and efficiency of uh, essentially information. Yeah, and, and I think when I think, now that I think about it, uh, so you, you made a very good point about the speed and uh, and the efficiency of it and, and, and the ease of setting it up, right? And that kind of... Uh, I guess uh, the devil's advocate in me wants to kind of come back and say, hey, well, but that's also a problem because uh, you can, uh, like, you know, very quickly swindle a large number of people uh, with, with, with uh, a lot, lot more audacity and speed and then kind of get away with it and they have less uh, recourse. One of, one of the advantages of, uh, you know, uh, the lumbering bureaucracy of a uh, of a traditional corporate uh, setup is also that it 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 gives people time to kind of vet it and uh, the 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 barriers to entry are also kind of means that you know uh, it becomes more difficult for uh, swindlers or people who are opportunistic to kind of try and uh, take advantage. Yeah, you know, I would push back on that, right? Like, um, 
swindling is kind of a two-party game, right? You need to have the swindler and the swindlerie. And uh, swindling happens in corporate structures already, right? And you can have it on enormous scales, um, even if perhaps the time frame is different, right? Uh, you know, if you look at 2008, I forget the, the name of the, the, the individual, but he ran that large Ponzi scheme. Oh, I, I was speaking about just the other day, the, the name escapes me, but you know, it was like $60 billion, right? That, that, um, they basically swindled people out. Um, so, so, you know, you can do this at large scale. Your other issue is like, you know, you could do it faster or, or have like more audaciousness. And I think that's very true today, right? Um, what we at Tally really focus on is we, we think that th that sort of audaciousness and that, that scammer, scammer nature is very much possible because uh, we lack the tools today to really understand what's going on very well, right? But that's the same thing with corporations, right? Like for, for people to understand what's happening in corporations, especially private co corporations, is very difficult or, or impossible, right? Like, you know, here at Tally, we're still a corporation. Um, you know, for you to discover how it actually works internally uh, would be nigh impossible, right? Um, on the flip side, you know, with DAOs, I think it's because we're so early that there are these opportunities to use them for, um, you know, scamming and swindling individuals because we don't have really great tools to look into it. The sort of vision and mission that we have at Tally is to to expose how these organizations work and make them transparent to the point that swindling individuals becomes very difficult, right? Now, of course, you know, it's, it's difficult to prevent, you know, um, sort of cults of personalities to grow up around people who, who swindle anyway. Um, we're not going to entirely remove gullibility from the, from the equation or, you know, malfeasance. Uh, but we do think that radical transparency is necessary to have these successful, scalable organizations at the speed, right? They're not going to be successful if, you know, they appear overnight and they disappear by Friday and you never knew what, what it went on and how, how it worked. Right. So, you know, that's what I sort of meant earlier when I talked about a lot of these organizations uh, use the word DAO as kind of like an aspiration where they're not truly DAOs yet. And, and that can be a problem, especially with today's tooling, where, you know, you may have one individual who controls the treasury, calls it a DAO or she calls it a DAO. But in reality, you know, they're, they're just a singular point of failure. Um, and, you know, maybe it's just a scam. Yeah. And, and just to kind of uh, quickly uh, uh emphasize the point uh, the person you I think referring to is Bernie Madoff, uh, the largest Ponzi scheme in history. Yes. Yes, correct. Bernie Madoff. Uh, and, I, and I totally take your point about that. Uh, uh, there is uh, there is absolutely uh, a lack of transparency all around. And uh, one of the uh, advantages of putting things on blockchains and uh, the idea of DAOs also on blockchains is that uh, you have a public ledger and if you just have the right tools, you can uh, expose things to everybody. Yeah, I agree. I agree. That's very important. So uh, now that you touched on all the main concepts of uh, what a DAO is and the, the advantage and disadvantage and uh, the speed and the efficiency, could you go a little bit uh, into the nitty gritty of you know what are the different kinds of DAOs or if somebody wanted to build a DAO, how would they go about it? Sure. So again, um, there are a lot of kinds of DAOs. As we, you know, expand our understanding of like what, um, you know, sort of an internet native organization can be, 
you see more people building new use cases around it, right? So you have artists who are creating a community around their art, um, you know, and then allowing the, the participants in their community to, to, you know, somehow interact with them or, or guide their, the direction of their work. Uh, you have social organizations like Friends with Benefits, which is a very successful uh, social DAO where, you know, you, you are a member and um, you get to participate in a lot of their events. Um, and they are, you know, quite cool. You know, it's sort of like a digital Soho house, right, where you, where you have these sort of like member only organizations. Uh, then, of course, you have the DeFi protocols. We mentioned this a little bit earlier. You know, if you're going to build this global lending protocol that's going to manage billions of dollars um, and it's not going to be, you know, physically located in some sort of jurisdiction that you could potentially sue people over in, in disagreements, uh, well, then you're going to need a protocol to, to manage that and you're going to need a governing body, which is a DAO, to, to manage that as well, right? So, so that is how, you know, you would apply in that case. Um, I, I think for DAOs, you know, one of the interesting things here is, you, you know, I think we mentioned briefly earlier the idea of like nonprofit. Uh, we see DAOs as becoming viable alternatives to nonprofits. Uh, nonprofits are kind of interesting because if you start a nonprofit, it's sort of like, um, you know, you have an idea, you build a nonprofit, then you sort of need to get funding. Uh, and then it's sort of like a charity organization. Nonprofits in some ways are kind of like feeders of the, the sort of, you know, tax system right like most nonprofits are are tax deductible and that's how they get donations because people sort of like you know uh would rather not give some money to the government so they you know have a slew of nonprofits to choose from um that funding model i personally have uh, kind of a few qualms about uh and with DAOs, what you can do which is special here as well is like you can build an idea and you sort of get the community as a part of it as a part of the success for it Right. And that's very interesting, right? Because the fundraising um, in some DAO communities, like if you look at uh, communities such as Pool Suite, right, they're also a social DAO where they sold these NFT memberships. And then now with those memberships, you can participate in things like their cool dance parties, which, which people really like to do. Um, they're raising more money now, I believe, to do Manor DAO, where they buy some really opulent building somewhere and that becomes their sort of like physical home base where where pool suite members can go and socialize um so so you can do a lot of things right like that what you can apply a DAO to is kind of anything i would love to see DAOs applied to things like block associations and condominium associations anywhere where you have um you know people organized together it's kind of a good opportunity for a DAO. Uh, for building a DAO, you know, how you get started is, is really depends on the kind of organization that you're building, right? If you are kind of looking to build something like a DeFi protocol, well, you know, it's important for you to build a DeFi protocol first, right? You, you need something like that. Um, but you know, in, in general, you, you need some sort of like membership, something that delineates membership. So in general, those are tokens, whether they are NFTs or ERC20s. You know, you distribute those to individuals in, you know, however makes sense for your organization. Uh, you know, DeFi protocols tend to allow you to yield farm it. So you pr provide liquidity to earn the token or, um, you know, in, in social DAOs, you sell NFTs and that, that money, um, may go into the treasury and then the, the voters collectively can vote on how to spend it, right? You can do something like that. So that's very interesting for things like fundraisers. Uh, so there, there's kind of like as many ways to start as you, you have, um, ideas. 
Um, the, the way we recommend is uh, using on-chain. We recommend on-chain. We recommend using the smart contracts from Open Zeppelin. They are the, the you know, size having previously worked for them. They also have this library of audited open source smart contracts, which are actually the basis of nearly everything that is built in Ethereum. So you can get a token there, you get your uh, governor contract there, um, and then you can just deploy it on Tally, right? So, so once you have these, you just add them to Tally and then, um, you know, you're live and that's where people can do their delegation, their voting, creating proposals. Uh, other tools, of course, Discord is very popular, Twitter for, you know, growing communities and membership. Um, so there's a lot of ways that you can get started there. Yeah, but uh, there's also one kind of, uh, uh, kind of like uh, friction over here, right? And that, that's basically the whole idea that uh, every time you want to participate in a DAO, you have to spend money uh, so uh, every transaction that you have to do you have to have spend fees and uh, depending on what uh, blockchain that you use like say suppose you're on ethereum uh, that can vary quite widely depending on uh, you know what the price of ethereum is and uh, all that so uh, do you have like uh, uh, you know uh, an opinion on uh, about that or is there a way that uh, that you've thought about where that can be kind of mitigated because it seems kind of uh, counterintuitive or weird that uh, a community somebody who's like uh, participating in a club or in a membership uh, for every vote that they have to spend money to actually vote vote on something right mm. Yeah, so it really depends on your organization. Um, you know, you can certainly use less expensive blockchains, right? You can have be deployed on Polygon and have it cost, you know, just a few cents to participate. Uh, you can be employed on, you know, have it deployed on Ethereum where it maybe costs a lot more. There's a number of ways to go around this. You know, there are off-chain voting tools, although generally uh, folks do not do the effort to make sure that they're truly decentralized. So. Um, that can actually run into to problems, right? That's been a great a vector for charlatans to to participate in the space by giving the illusion of participation to members. Uh, there's also delegation where, you know, you don't necessarily have to participate in every vote. Rather, you choose an individual in the community who uh, represents your interests and you delegate your voting power to them. And, and they do the voting on your behalf. That's a way of, of uh, making participation more efficient. Uh, also, because most most individuals don't have the sort of like brain space to to participate in every vote on everything that they work on. Um, also, when when you think about it, uh, depending on the organization, right? If you're running an organization that has uh, billions of dollars in the treasury, and your vote directly impacts how that billions of dollars is spent, it's not really unreasonable to to have uh, a couple dollars required for the participation there, right? Um, you know, if you were to participate in some sort of shareholder action uh, that, um, you know, potentially moved billions of dollars, uh, I'm sure whatever energy or effort that went into executing that, um, you know, might take, you know, a dollar or two, you know, of, of your, your time and effort, whether it's in the, the, you know, corporation preparing forms to be signed or, or how you know the documents are delivered, et cetera, et cetera. So I, I think we're, we're talking about like the scale of organization, right? Like certainly, um, you know, some organizations have things called sub DAOs, um, 
And these are smaller groups, working groups inside a DAO that uh, sort of get tasked with some responsibility that they are to manage directly. So, you know, you would have, you know, a party planning committee, let's say. So the entire community isn't required to vote on, you know, the color of the frosting on the cake and whether or not you have beer. Uh, instead, you know, you may participate in um, a vote that says, hey, let's empower the uh, parting planning committee to to run a party and then they now have the sort of responsibility to execute on that to take these decisions and then you know at the end you can go to the party and see if it was good or not and then you can decide if you want to continue to fund the party planning committee right so there's, there's a lot of ways to deal with this uh participatory cost in the organizational structure yeah and another thing that i've often been struck by is that you know uh, so there's all this technology, we're building these complex uh, systems, uh, but yet when we come to, come, when it comes down to it, it's essentially some form of voting. And uh, if, when, if you look at voting as a concept also, there are different types of voting nowadays. So if you think about, uh, even if uh, we, in fact, uh, uh, KK and I, uh, we've done an episode uh, earlier about voting systems uh, uh, in BC dialogues, and so we, there are some very interesting different ways in which uh, voting can be done, right? So you can actually have a single vote, you can have multiple vote, you can have preferences. So you can vote, uh, you know, uh, from a list of five options, you can choose uh, uh, your uh, order on which these should be prioritized and stuff like that. Uh, have you really seen kind of so in, in the in the in the nominal case in in most DAOs that I have seen, uh, voting seems to be uh, tied to the number of tokens that you have, right? So it's almost essentially uh, you can buy yourself uh, into being a large stakeholder and kind of uh, controlling uh, the uh, voting in a community. Uh, do do you see actually the, there being any kind of other systems or thoughts being put into it uh, that uh, uh, mitigate this? Yeah, so there are um, a, a lot of people do think about this um, token. I, I I still believe that at the moment token based voting is is probably the best and uh, sort of like compromise of the sort of alternatives and sort of trade offs. Um, you know the the you have to think about the way i think about it a little bit is communities should design their governance so it's not effective to capture in that regard right i think it's very bad if you have token-based governance and you allow people for example to flash loan your your token right that in my opinion doesn't really sound like a great idea right you open yourself up to to people having voting power without taking risk in the sort of like outcome of like what may happen. So, you know, I, I think that's partially um, a thing that has to be thought about in the sort of design of the governance. Uh, additionally, you know, you have to also think about the health of a community, right? Like if, if how, how did you distribute voting power in the first place such that a majority of your community leaves? Right. Like, cause when, when, when somebody accumulates the tokens to, 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 you know, sort of capture the DAO, um, it means that the people who held the tokens got rid of them. Right. So in what way has this community failed that the majority of their community didn't care and left? Right. That is a kind of form of governance failure. I think we see that risk with 
uh, a number of DeFi governances where the token is sort of distributed, um, not based on commitment or interest or sort of like, you know, contribution, but instead on just like money, you know, they, they reward people for being very mercenary in, in their, their interactions. Um, so, you know, putting tokens into the wrong people's hands, you know, airdrops as well, you know, people get free money and then you're surprised and they sell it all and then somebody accumulates it. Um, you know, so that, that is a, you know, part of DAO design that I think is very important to like, you know, take care of. But by and large, I think the community has done something wrong if a majority of the community just doesn't care and leaves, right? Which is exactly this case. So, you know, I don't think, you know, in a world where you have some sort of uh, software that somehow prevented that, which to be fair, um, you know, it's very hard to discern the difference between one person who buys all the tokens and a majority of individuals who just agree, right? So, you know, mm -hmm. if you're going to build software that blocks one person who has a loud voice, you're kind of potentially also just blocking um, a majority opinion. So what kind of community um, is that, right? Where you're just disenfranchising um, individuals. So it's, it's, for, for me, I think that really comes down to just uh, community design or DAO design where you need to make sure that the right people have your tokens. Great. So uh, now to uh, talk a little bit more in detail about Tally, which is the uh, platform that you are working with. So uh, could you explain for our audience what is Tally, what it does, and uh, maybe you know compare it with some of the competition that's out there in the market? Yeah, sure. So Tally is, in our opinion, the best place to start build and grow decentralized organizations, right? Uh, we support um, the, the the top protocols in the space, uh, Compound, Uniswap, ENS, Gitcoin, um, many more. Um, so, so obviously we're very proud of our tool. Uh, our tool allows you to effectively manage things like the life cycle of proposals, uh, gives your community members a place to understand what is happening inside of your organization right so it allows you to see how, how people are voting uh, what people are proposing it allows you to manage the life cycle of proposals so you can create proposals you can create um the, we have a feature i don't know if it's actually live today but it'll probably be live by the time this comes out for um polls so you can do uh, off chain just just gasless polls just to get people's opinion. Uh, you can do draft proposals so you can create proposals that will do on-chain activity and share them with other individuals so they can you know comment on it. Uh, you can create proposals of course and then vote on them. You, you have a really great interface for understanding how uh, voting is working, how things are happening in your community. So it's a very powerful tool. We also have things called recipes which are um, simple um, solutions for common actions. So things like sending tokens, uh, we build a very uh, robust and secure way for you to send money to other people in your DAO. And, you know, communities use this to, to pay one another for um, activities or uh, work that ha people have um, done for the DAO, right? So we, we enable a lot of economic activity within these communities using Tally. So yeah, it, it, we're very proud of it. Um, I, I won't compare it to other tools in the space. I'm a big fan of what, what um, almost everyone else is building. So I, I wouldn't want to sort of like talk about us in, in comparison to them because I, I wouldn't want to 
um, seem like I'm not nice uh, because there are a lot of other great tools. But Tally is unique in its uh, coverage of uh, on-chain governor-based DAOs, which are the the sort of like, in our opinion, the, the most secure uh, framework for uh, scalable organizations from, you know, two people to two million people. Uh, and we have some of the best uh, execution tools for creating um, proposals and um, managing the sort of community and understanding who's participating in your community. Yeah, I mean, that's great. Uh, uh, I think I think Tally also, one of the things I like about it is that it's, its user experience seems to be really nice in the, in the sense that you get very clear idea of you know who's voting uh how which are the active voters and managing uh the DAO once you've kind of built it uh seems to be uh pretty good so obviously we've been talking for a while now uh about you know uh, what a DAO is what are some good use cases and and you know voting mechanisms and things like that but i i also want to kind of try to see uh, or get a perspective from you on how do you see this kind of playing out, right? So uh, what do you think is going to happen with DAOs long term? Do you think that they will kind of eventually replace or become an uh, alternative to, uh, you know, companies and corporate structures? Yeah, I, I think the short answer to that is yes. Um, you know, we've seen, you know, minimal innovation in corporate structures over the years. I think, you know, the B Corporation, the benefit corporation is sort of like an uh, example of how there has been some innovation in corporate structures. Um, we see now, of course, states uh, supporting DAO laws, DAOs as kind of incorporated structure as well. I think that long term DAOs become um, on par with corporations, right? You know, you will think, oh, I want to start something and then you'll choose between a C Corp, an LLC, or a DAO, like a DAO will, will just be uh, a viable option to the kind of company that you want to build. And we're really excited for that that future, right? That's what we're building towards and the tooling that we are building. And we think that that's going to be enormously powerful. Lastly, uh, Denison, uh, just so that you know, we'll definitely be including all the relevant links in the show notes. However, uh, for our audience who are listening to this, uh, would you like to tell them where they can find more information about you, how they can get involved in the community, or uh, anything else? Yeah, absolutely. So you can learn more at Tally. So that's Tally, T-A-L-L-Y dot X-Y-Z. Um, so Tally dot X-Y-Z. Uh, that's probably the best place to find us. Uh, you can also find us um, on Twitter. Um, you can find all the links there at the bottom of our uh, site. Um, that's that's the best place to find out about us. Um, we have a really great newsletter, which you know I highly su- recommend folks subscribe to. Uh, we put out a lot of content. We put out uh, content regularly during the week, great articles, in-depth thought pieces, and analysis of what's going on in the DAO space. So uh, yeah, I, th- I think if you're interested in DAOs, you'll find it extremely valuable. I just want to say, Denison, it's been a real pleasure talking to you. Uh, and I think that the work that you're doing at Ali is uh, very important for the ecosystem as a whole. And uh, like you mentioned, you know, we need tools that reduce the barrier to entry and make it simple for the average person to get involved and, uh, you know, for more people to actually start building more things, right? So thank you for your time. Once we again, wish you all the best. That and, was uh, we Denison Bertram back from in the future sometime. 
We hope that My you pleasure. enjoyed this episode. Thank you. You can subscribe to us on iTunes, Google Play, and Spotify. Also, you can learn more about us at bcdialogues.com. Thanks again for joining. See you next time.